This podcast is made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Welcome to Go Bronx Podcast, episode 14. I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. In this week's episode, we are going to talk about Native American history in the Bronx. Our beloved borough contains almost 400 years of written history, yet there's a lot of misinformation out there, and there's still so much to learn about the First Nation that inhabited this area. When Jonas Bronx arrived in what became the Bronx in 1639, there was already a Native American civilization of culture and norms that have taken root many years before. Through oral histories, storytelling, and the occasional archaeological site, a snapshot of the Native American experience here in the Bronx emerges. Let us discuss the tribe of those Bronx natives who were already traversing our land before the dawn of European colonization. For thousands of years, the people living in the area we now call the Bronx had continually developed tribal groups. When Europeans began to settle here during the 15th century, several native tribes occupied the land, but without any boundaries. A tribe would traverse another's territory under terms that the land would be used for hunting and gathering. All the tribes of the area spoke variations of the original Algonquin language and shared the same culture. A council of village sachems, or chiefs, were chosen for their age, experiences, abilities, or past service governed each tribe. The sachem of the entire tribe presided and had to use his powers of persuasion to obtain unanimous agreement for any decision made in peacetime. In other words, you had to be a politician. I guess you can say that. By the early 1600s, European settlers were encountering these already established relations among the natives. Jonas Bronk, in whom our borough derive its name, arrived in 1639 where he entered into a land transaction with two Wegwiskeek sachems, Renak and Takamuk. The Wegwiskeek were part of the Wappinger Confederation, which were a group of Algonquin tribes formerly occupying the east bank of the Hudson River from Poughkeepsie to Manhattan Island. They referred to the western side of the Bronx as Keskakech, which meant in Lenape, stony ground. Today there is credence to that landscaping fact, as two of our oldest houses, the Van Cortland and Valentine Varian House, both located in the West Bronx, were made from the abundant fieldstones located nearby. The peninsula in which the eastern Harlem Rivers met, the site of Bronx Farm, was also referred to as Renachqua, in which experts in the Lenape tongue would pronounce it as Wanachkiwiok, meaning end place. Since early European records recorded everything verbatim, some sachems took on the names of places they dwelled in, thus being recorded as such, as in the case of the sachem Renak. Olga, did you know that Class and Point, located in Soundview, was the site of a fishing village called Snackapins? Uh, yeah, of course I do. I know stuff, but I know because you just told me. The village was widely used by another native group who were supposedly called the Siwanoi. Along the eastern shores of the Bronx, local historians point to this Muncie-speaking group who have very little historical information to share. Yet, they are said to have had a village on Davenport Neck, in what is now New Rochelle. The Siwanois were probably one of many small groups of natives who occupied southeastern New York, New Jersey, eastern Pennsylvania, and coastal Delaware. They spoke Munsee, or Unami, 
two closely related Algonquian languages and shared similar culture traits with their tribal neighbors. They were of the Delaware natives, who were comprised of several sets of related families and led by a chief with limited political power. They grew corn, beans, and squash, and also relied extensively on game, fish, and wild plants. By 1640, relations between the Dutch of New Amsterdam and their Native American neighbors were gradually deteriorating. Conflicts instigated by then-director of New Netherland, William Kieft, further strained relations, that by 1643, an all-out war breaks out, leaving early colonists like Jonas Bronck and his family vulnerable to retaliatory attacks. There aren't records pointing to the fact that Bronck died at the hands of natives, but other early Bronx settlers weren't so fortunate. Anne Hutchinson was a famed Puritan and religious reformer who had just settled in what is now the Pelham Bay section before she and her family were massacred by a Sibinoy band led by a chief, Wampaji, in August 1643. Escaping a life of religious persecution, Hutchinson sought reprieve off the shores of the river that would bear her surname almost 400 years later, the Hutchinson River Parkway. In fact, the Pelham Bay Park section of the Bronx still holds some remnants from the days of the Bronx natives. You have rock formations that were created by glacier movement, like the Gray Mare, a large stone shaped like a horse in which the Suinoi paid great respect. Indian Prayer Rock, a cluster of black boulders where the Suinoi supposedly performed sacred rituals. Michaud Rock, although mostly buried due to landfilling during the creation of Orchard Beach in the 1930s, was said to have once served as a commercial hub for traveling tribes for many years. Yet, there is still not much we know of the Silinoi natives, other than what has been mentioned in Bronx history. Well, before we dig a little deeper, let us first have a commercial break. The world has changed a lot in the last year, and more than ever, you need health insurance you can rely on. Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield is the whole health company, and that means they are dedicated to improving the health and well-being of everyone in the Bronx and throughout the New York service area. They've been supporting the health of Bronxites for 86 years, providing you access to high-quality, affordable care. To learn how you can make a whole health connection, go to Blue. Dot com. Sigourney Weaver here to tell you about the New York Botanical Garden, 250 acres, 1 million plants, and you. Now open in the Bronx. Plan your visit at nybg.org. City Bike is expanding to the Bronx. Membership is only $179 annually. New Yorkers who live in NYCHA or receive SNAP benefits can take advantage of the discounted City Bike membership for only $5 a month. Visit citybikenyc.com slash pricing to get started. Angel, so there are questions swirling about the Silvanoi. Some scholars believe that they weren't a tribe at all, yet they've been mentioned in Bronx history for so many years. What say you, my favorite historian? Well, Olga, as I mentioned before, there is a plethora of information that has yet to be unearthed when studying the Bronx natives. In pre-colonial times, many things were recorded verbatim or through bouts of extreme miscommunication. This would naturally screw things up, and its lasting effects permeate into today's studies. 
Linguistical experts in the Lenape tongue have verified that other tribes, such as the Rechkawawanks or Manhattans, spoke a similar dialect and shared customs with the other Bronx tribes mentioned earlier. For example, almost all the Bronx natives spoke a variation of Nalapi, or Delawarean dialect of the Algonquin language. They were semi-sedentary, who had settled in what we now call the Bronx approximately 1,000 years ago, or even less. They dwelled in villages throughout and praised the creator called Kishelamukan, who, through the assistance of the Manetuwak, or sacred spirits, maintains and protects Mother Earth. Seems like there were many similarities amongst the native tribes of the Bronx. Correct. Yet, there is strong contention that the Siwanoi people did not refer to themselves as such. The word Siwanoi is believed to be the corruption of another word, Siwanak, which in Muncie, a dialect of the Lenape tongue, translates to salt people. Scholars have pointed out in recent times that the Siwanoi were widely mistaken for the Wegwiskeeks, the same band of natives that interacted with Jonas Bronk in the 1640s. This debate, although highly contested and still going on today, gives us a clear example of how much we still don't know about the Native Americans of the Bronx. Wow, we're going to give Angel a break from pronouncing words in native languages. <sighs> yes, please. We'll be right back. Get it, baby, get it! And now for a little segment we like to call Yo Angel. Yo Olga. Is it true that the Bronx has the second largest conglomeration of Art Deco architecture in the United States? Some historians have asserted that fact. But to go even further, we've asked Anthony Robbins, vice president of the Art Deco Society of New York and author of New York Art Deco, a guide to Gotham's jazz age architecture to join us. I haven't personally counted, but probably the West Bronx especially must have several hundred Art Deco apartment houses. I think Miami Beach may have more. I haven't counted there either, but I don't think it matters. Art Deco is, is such an integral part of the identity of, of New York. Uh, you'll find it everywhere, the Bronx especially, but not exclusively. It's a style that really got started in the skyscrapers. Think of the Chrysler Building, the Empire State Building for that matter. That's where it began in the uh, late 20s. And then it spread out across the city to every building type and brought what is effectively a skyscraper style to six-story apartment houses. That's why the Grand Car, of course, looks the way it did. And since Art Deco brought with it especially a sense of bright, lively colors, geometric patterns, things that no one had been doing before, it really livened up the concourse. The earlier buildings are, are lovely, but they're, they're, they're tame by comparison. They're, they're, their color is muted. They're traditional bits of architecture. This was like, oh my gosh, the Midtown skyscrapers just showed up on our doorstep and make the Grand Concourse a very special place and the streets on either side. And now you know. We're back. Today, we can travel throughout the Bronx and still find more remnants of the Native American legacy. However, some of our most traveled roads and places were once important to the natives. Say, Angel, can you point some of them out to us? Surely. We all know that famous parkway called Mashalu. So the word itself is supposedly Nanapi and means either smooth stones or small stones, since Mashalu Parkway was originally a brook. Yet, 
What fascinates me are the old Native American names for the places we know very well today. For example, Aquahong, which means high bluffs in Lenape, possibly referring to the Bronx Gorge at the New York Botanical Garden. Sometimes it was referred to as the Bronx River itself. Akeaniok is now Hutchinson River. Kawagong, meaning boundary beyond, was the native name for present-day Gunhill Road at the Bronx River. Quinahung, meaning planting neck, was Hunts Point. Lapawachking, or the place of stringing beads, is now Hunter Island. Akigenum meant where the path goes over, and that referred to the present-day Pelham Parkway at the Bronx River. Olga, I can go on, but I guess the whole point of why we call this episode The Bronx Natives was to demonstrate that there was early civilization before the arrival of Europeans, and history shows us that their assimilation to the New World was mainly due to the land familiarity of the natives they've encountered. The Bronx Natives, whether we call them Weguasqueak or Siwanoi, were the original citizens of our great borough, and we must continue to share their legacies for future generations to come. I think we should begin referring to these neighborhoods in the native language. What do you say? Eh, well, we can think about that. <laughs> okay, Angel, I truly enjoyed this powwow. Thanks. That's our show this week. Thank you all for tuning in to our Go Bronx pod, produced by the Bronx Tourism Council and made possible by Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Mucho thanks to the Huntington Free Library and Reading Room for serving as our makeshift recording studio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoBXPod. If you like us, tell your friends. And if they already like us, make some new friends and then tell them. For more information about this and other episodes, visit GoBronxPod.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our e-newsletter to get the latest and greatest news from and about the Bronx. As always, I'm Olga Luz. And I'm Angel. Bronxfully yours. <laughs>